HR professionals, safeguard your business from compliance risks. AIMHR Solutions offers crucial compliance audit services tailored to your needs. Led by expert consultants, our audits ensure full compliance with federal and state laws and regulations. We provide a roadmap for your business's future with detailed reports pinpointing strengths and areas for improvement. Save time, money, and mitigate risk with our expertise. Constantly evolving laws and limited HR staff can leave you vulnerable to fines and lawsuits. Protect your business. Schedule your audit now at aimhrsolutions.com. Welcome to Human Solutions, simplifying HR for people who love HR from AIM HR Solutions on True Story FM. I'm Pete Wright, and this week we're talking about leaves. We're used to employees taking time off for vacation or having a baby, but in addition to the many things we've learned thanks to the pandemic, we now know that there are many, many new reasons for taking time away from work. Caring for family members, childcare closures, or maybe members of your team need a mental health break because of burnout. Even more complicated, our Massachusetts employers are still adjusting to paid family and medical leave. If all of this is confusing to you, you're not alone. Today, Tom Jones and Mary McNally will break down LOAs and answer some of the most common questions we get from employers. Tom Jones, Mary McNally, welcome to the show this week. Thank you for joining me. I'm excited to talk about leaves. I don't know why I'm excited to talk about leaves. I feel like there's a lot of turmoil in understanding leaves, and I need you all to help me understand what's going on. Uh, Mary, I'll start with you. Can you talk a little bit about the most commonly used leaves in Massachusetts? Sure. So, hi, Pete. Thank you for having me. Um, so. There's two main leaves that I think of when it comes to an employer in Massachusetts. The first one is the Family Medical Leave Act, and that's a federal law. So that's not just for Massachusetts, but it does apply to Massachusetts employees. But the other one is, and you mentioned in your introduction, the Massachusetts Paid Family and Medical Leave. So the two of them can tend to run concurrently, and we can talk a little bit more about that. I know Tom will, will want to chime in on that. Um, but th- those really are the two leaves that uh, come into play for Massachusetts employers. Okay, Tom, then your turn. You have been officially segued <laughs> to. There, there's a distinction, too, to, to remember about those two laws. One is that the FMLA begins when there's 50 or more employees, so it may not cover every employer, but... The Massachusetts was one or more employees, the paid family leave. So basically every lawyer, every employer in the Commonwealth is covered for purposes of the paid family medical leave, assuming that you're eligible for unemployment insurance benefits as an employee. So if you've worked the equivalent of a quarter's worth of time, paid enough earnings into the um, fund, you will be covered for purposes of uh, paid family medical leave benefit. And it's a much more generous benefit than the FMLA. Yeah, it sounds like mm-hmm. it. Does- does that count for for people? I mean, I know there's there's also a lot of of turmoil around uh, people who run a lot of 1099s. So you know, if you have a lot of 1099s, if even if you have that one person who might work for you three quarter time and have you know uh, other clients in the the rest of their hours each week, 
do they are, are they impacted by any sort of leaves or is that just sort of a completely separate? The Massachusetts PFML regulation says this 50% or more of your workforce is considered as independent contractors, then yes, they would be eligible to apply for a paid family leave. But if you are an employer and you have uh, less than 50% of your workforce as independent contractors, then no, they're not considered uh, employees under your company. Uh, okay, so let's talk a little bit about um, you know how you determine which leave applies to your given situation. It sounds like there is you've you've set up the 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 stakes between FMLA and PFML. Um, you know you're a, a HR manager and um, you are faced with a, a let's say a cascade of new leave uh, requests coming through. How do you how do you start? Myself being a former HR manager, what I would do if someone came to me and needed a leave of absence, I would try to get as much information as possible, like why are they going out on leave and uh, how long do they need to be out for and so forth. And then I would have an internal checklist that I would do um, where I would say, okay, do they meet the requirements for FMLA? Have they worked the 1,250 hours within the previous year? Have they, um, you know, is it an, are we an employer that has 50 or more employees? And if the answer is yes, then I would, you know, say, okay, this person is eligible for FMLA. But then simultaneously, I would also look at my checklist to see if they would be eligible for PFML as well. And most likely, if they're eligible for FMLA, they're going to be eligible for PFML because PFML does not have requirements that are as um, strict as they are for FMLA. So that's what I would do. I would do that internal checklist. And then from there, I would say, okay, well, what documentation do I need to present to the employee in order to give the information that they need um, and order and also in order to keep the company in compliance? Well, there's a couple other things, too, to keep aware, be aware of that there's a Massachusetts parental leave law which is really slipping by the wayside here because the other two laws are so much more important. But there is a law that says that an employee has up to eight weeks of leave for the purposes of giving birth for a new a baby, both men and women, unpaid, only eight weeks, and it's only full-time employees. So most employers have kind of kicked that to the curb and said, there's really not much attention we're going to pay to that one. But it does still exist as a law. So if it, depending on what the reason is for the FMLA or PFMLA, that law, maybe you want to run it concurrently at least so that you can't say, wait, nobody can come back later and say, oh, you didn't give me this benefit when you ran the other benefits. So you want to make sure that you run them simultaneously. Yeah, great point, Tom. So, and, and that makes it even a little bit more interesting, right? Because you mentioned about running leaves concurrently. So if someone's going out for um, family for family leave for the reasons of giving birth, Right. And so now you have the Massachusetts parental leave and you hit, they could be eligible for FMLA. They're definitely most likely going to be eligible for PFML. So it's making sure you coordinate all of those. And like I mentioned before, you have to make sure that you provide the correct documentation um, to stay in compliance. The other piece that I do want to point out is how is an employee paid when they're on leave of absence? So that's a big um, difference between PFML and FMLA is FMLA is job protection only. It does not include pay. An employer does not have to pay an employee if they're eligible for FMLA. However, PFML is a paid benefit. 
Um, and then you throw into the mix, a lot of companies also have a short-term disability plan as well, which I know we won't go into that because that could be a whole other podcast. But thinking about that too, that, you know, so short-term disability, how does that fit in as far as pay is concerned when someone's going out on a leave? Well, I, I do think it I do think it matters for this question, which is what are the limits for reasons you can take a leave under these? Like, you know, we've talked about the the blossoming sort of number of circumstances that uh, employees are coming and saying, I need to take I need to take time off. What do you as an HR manager need to know? Uh, what can you know? And where does the limit for requesting a leave stop? Uh, my significant other runs a big cat reserve and some of the cats are sick and I need to take some time off. Like, th- I-, I can I can keep going. Uh, what do you think, Tom? There's two types of leave, though, and you can broadly categorize. One of them is uh, standard statutory or mandatory leaves, like we're, we've been talking about so far. But then there are these things called discretionary leaves which some companies have dealt with in exactly the way you're talking about. You have an employee who comes to you and says, I have exactly the situation you're talking about. You know, personal issue, got to deal with them. My, my spouse, significant other does. And companies trying to be flexible might say, okay, we give you a discretionary leave of absence, a personal leave of absence, and you can take it for 30 days. What we might not do is be able to guarantee you a job when you come back, but we can more than likely in today's world with the pandemic, we're going to able to give you a job. And we're going to encourage you to take it during slow season as opposed to during the the heavy season so that you can do that. And so companies were finding being a lot more um, flexible, I think is the right word, than they had previously been because they want to hold on to employees that they know are good qualified employees. So you're trying to dance that, which, you know, if the law doesn't work, maybe there's something else that does work. And it's a conversation with your employees to try and figure out what are you really looking for for time off? Now, if somebody came to you and said, gee, I want time off to go work in my cousin's restaurant, you know, you might say, well, I don't think that's a valid reason for a leave of absence. Are there are there limits, Tom, to what you as an HR manager can ask, or are there any privacy considerations involved here? Generally, there's going to be some privacy around medical issues at some limit, but if you get the doc, well, here's the difference. Under FMLA, the employer will get the documentation about the requesting nature of the leave from a medical sort of medical provider. And we'll be able to use that to determine whether it's covered under the law. Under the state plan, generally the state gets that information, not the employer. Or the private insurance company gets it, not the employer. And all the employer gets is, okay, so-and-so is eligible for leave. So you may not even be able to ask unless the employee volunteers it in the context of the workplace, which some employees are very generous to do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when it comes to medical documentation, you know, it has to be very well protected. So it has to be kept in separate files. Um, ideally, I, I think as an HR manager, you, you don't want to be seeing medical documentation if you don't have to. Um, so uh, what I'm seeing now as a trend is a lot of companies are actually outsourcing the leave of absence administration because they don't want to be in the business of making leave decisions based on physician documentation or healthcare provider documentation that, that they are receiving. I, I'm, I, I know we're talking about, um, you know, health reasons. This obviously applies to mental health reasons. Another thing that is, uh, you know, coming up more and more frequently right now as we, as we navigate 
work-life balance and pandemic, uh, you know, we've got a a distressing number of millennials and Gen Zs who are, are saying that they are stressed and, and anxious. Deloitte reports 48% of Gen Zers and 44% of millennials uh, surveyed are stressed all or most of the time. All or most of the time. Um, that that is a a, a terrifying uh, you know statistic certainly, um, and it seems like all the more important to for employers and for HR to be looking at leaves as a strategic benefit for keeping the employee happy and healthy at the workplace. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely, and I think the more that it can be communicated, the better. You know, there are those statutory requirements under, you know, FMLA and PFML as far as notification. Um, But going back to what you were saying, Tom, about discretionary leaves is that could be something a company could think about is, okay, can we do anything beyond, you know, the the statutory leaves, especially in, in areas, all medical areas, but obviously including mental health. It actually opens the door up to another law we haven't talked about yet, which is the Americans with Disabilities Act which covers both um, illnesses and injuries and, you know, medical conditions and mental health conditions. So stress may qualify under that, in which case one of the accommodations under the Americans with Disabilities Act is time off from work. So it could be another way of someone taking time off from work while they're getting treatment, while they're getting um, resting, while they're, whatever it might be. But there's going to be requirement that there's some medical support for that. But the option, option does exist that somebody might say, I want to leave because of my mental health conditions. Yeah, or a reduced work schedule, too. A lot of tools, in other words, to, to make, the, make the job more, more palatable in times of, of stress. We, you know, AIM members uh, absolutely can utilize the uh, online resource center and contact the employer hotline with leave of absence questions. And uh, I wonder if you all have... Uh, a set of common questions that you hear that maybe we could uh, answer uh, on the podcast. And what are what are the big questions that you get when the, the hotline rings with an LOA uh, request? Yeah, sure. So one of the big ones is, can you run all these leaves concurrently? Okay. And yeah, that, that's one of, one of the main ones, especially if, if, you know, the person is eligible for the FMLA and PFML. I know there's so many acronyms. <laughs> um, so yeah, and, and what I always tell people is, well, you have to look at your first year FMLA policy. You know, in an FMLA policy, an employer can dictate the length of time that um, they can review to see when somebody is eligible for a leave, like say an additional leave. So for instance, let me give an example. This will be better. So I'm an employer and, you know, I know that a person can get up to 12 weeks within a year. So that's defining that year. Is it calendar year? Is it rolling forward from the date of the, the leave, the most recent leave of absence? Is it, you know, 12 months rolling backwards? So because PFML um, uses a rolling forward period of time to define when someone's eligible within a 52-week period. If you have an FMLA policy that also uses the look forward method, then you can run them concurrently. There still will be a little bit of time that is um, that they don't overlap because actually PFML starts the Sunday prior before the leave date, um, where FMLA starts the actual date, but 
you know, it's close enough to run them concurrently. So that's what we we tend to tell people. And then like Tom mentioned that the Massachusetts parental leave that usually can run concurrently with with both of them. It was nice enough for Mary to talk that it gave me a little moment to think to answer your question, Pete. Some of the other things that do come up regularly are one of them is, can I offset this against other, you know, for example, somebody who's on short-term disability, workers' comp, um, unemployment, can I offset the pay from one against the pay from another? That comes up as a question. And the law actually has an issue to address that. There's a mechanism where generally paid family leave pays first. And would say to, you know, okay, so-and-so is collecting unemployment, but it turns out that they're also eligible for the paid family leave because you can go on the paid family leave after you've been let go from a job. There's a, there's a provision in the law that allows that to happen. So the question then is who pays the benefits during that period of time? And so there's a mechanism in the law to work that out. Another thing is top-ups. So someone who's a very well-paid employee, there's a statutory limit as to how much you can get, which I think is 1084 right now. So if somebody's used to making two, three thousand dollars a week, they might say, "Is there any way the company can top that up?" And under certain circumstances, there's a provision in the law that you can do so. Under cir- other circumstances, you can't. Depends kind of where you're getting your insurance. And the third one I see come up a lot is, can you discipline people when they're out, especially after they've returned to work, or or after they've returned to work? So if someone took a leave, come back to work. At what point does it become? not retaliation, to discipline that person for their performance. And that has got, that's a brand new world for companies because the law is brand new and we don't really know what the courts are going to say over, you know, if you come back to work, Pete, and they say a week later, I write you up for something. Is that retaliation because you took the leave or is that just a genuine poor performance? Right. It's, it's probably retaliation. Let's. I mean, if it's me, it's probably <laughs> retaliation. Somebody's got a crush. But I mean, companies are struggling with that very point because there's a provision in the law that says for up to 26 weeks after you return to work, or six months, right? It's six months. Six correct. months you return to work, then it may be presumed to be retaliation and action against the employee. Now, I mean, if you stole something from the company, that's one thing. But, you know, in the gray area, companies are really struggling with figuring out what constitutes retaliation versus what's reasonable discipline? The the gray area being, you know, performance management versus mm-hmm. <laughs> breaking right. a, a criminal statute. Right? Exactly. Well, exactly. Yeah. Because if someone's been out of work for a couple months and really yeah. caused grief for the company in terms of production and all that, there mm-hmm. may be some residual anger yeah. against yeah. that person that may manifest itself in the disciplinary action toward the, the person. And that's okay. where you can get in trouble. Fascinating. Well, remember, everybody listening to this, definitely use that hotline. Give us more great examples to talk about uh, when you call that hotline and use those AIM resources for AIM members. Uh, Mary McDally and Tom Jones, thank you both so much. Uh, how'd we do? You feel pretty good about this? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I always okay. love talking about leaves of absence. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. I was just thinking, there's other ones out there we didn't even get a chance to touch on, like earn sick time, domestic violence leave. Which we did touch on indirectly last week when we did the violence one. We did. We uh, talked about violence. Small necessities place. leave. Does that include my big cats example? It, you know, it might someday. Maybe, I don't know, maybe we can bring that to government affairs and see if they can uh, get in a little... We can dive deeper in future podcasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the other one is, um, oh, Pregnant Workers Fairness Act has an, a leave of absence component to it. There's a lot of Massachusetts laws. So in the future, I think we could probably dig a little deeper. Because these are the two that get the most attention, FMLA and PFMLA. That's absolutely true. But these are the ones that are going to get are, are going to get the attention. Uh, exactly. Okay. And that they utilize the most. Right. Right. 
Well, it's going to be that's going to be a real hit episode when we come back together <laughs> and talk about all of the minor leave laws. Right. Going to be great. You don't want to miss it. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Mary and Tom. It's always a pleasure to talk to you both. And thank you, everyone, for downloading and listening to this show. As always, you can find links and notes about the show at aimhrsolutions.com. You can listen right there on the website or subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts or Spotify, anywhere fine podcasts are served. Thanks, everybody. I'm Pete Wright. I'll catch you next week right here on Human Solutions, simplifying HR for people who love HR.